Hi, so my name is Blanca Gomez, and today I'm going to share with you my class, the PA 720, titled Ethics and Social Justice. I'm taking my doctoral program at Cal Baptist University in Riverside, a fully online course. And I'm going to share with you the Ethical Foundations. This is the second week. And we're going to have a thorough discussion based on Dr. Province's PowerPoint um, to know the different types of ethics. So for week two, the assignment was about being good, a short introduction to ethics by Simon Blackburn, part three. And the other book was Reynold Nieberg, Moral Man in Immoral Society, a study in ethics and politics. And so in the readings, it talks a lot about different concepts. And when I say different concepts, the main overarching concept is ethics and politics. Um, But when I mean that there's different topics, I can think about moral resources as a topic. I think about philosophy, the different philosophers that were discussed in uh, Nieberg's book. We talk about Christian ideology, Catholicism. Um, The author brings up also the perspective from the rationalists, to the naturalists, to um, individuals such as the Protestant sect and ideology, Luther, and of course, uh, reason, uh, the capacity of morality, the social justice, which social justice looks like in terms of religious absolute religious absolutism. Those are the concepts that we kind of brought about. But in the types of ethics, we talk about the normative ethics, um, the meta-ethics, the descriptive ethics, and the applied ethics. So the normative ethics deals with moral principles and systems. The meta-ethics Ethics um, talks more about the nature of ethical claims, hence the word meta. Then the descriptive talks about certain system, certain ethical systems or actions that are held within a descriptive type of ethics. And finally, there is the applied ethics, which involves ethical deliberations such as prudence and uh, situations or ethical principles that are enveloped within world situations. Although these types of ethics have the noun ending ethics, they have a descriptor that follow, that precedes it, which really tells is telling of the term how there are different types of ethics. So the first one that we described was the normative ethics. That one deals with the these systems and moral principles. The second one we kind of talked about is the meta ethics. It's more based on the 
nature of the claim of ethics. The descriptive ethics is those systems in action that we're describing ethically. And finally, the applied one is the world situation. That's why it's, hence applied ethics involves the deliberation, the deliberation of ethics. So going a little bit in depth to discussing normative ethics. This one is concerned with the things that should be, ought to be, like good, bad. So it has these normative ethics stray away vehemently from gradualism. And if you look at gradualism as a concept, the the example of gradualism, uh, someone can be gradually increasing a type of impulse, for instance, you can be very egoistic versus mild, mildly egoistic versus very low levels of egoism in in your impulses, which are natural impulses. So here with normative ethics, it's really more concerned with how things should be or they ought to be. Like the good, the bad, the right and the wrong. These are rules that govern these actions. So that's what uh, this type of normative ethic involves so with normative ethics we also have approaches right so there's three approaches for the normative ethics and if you recall what normative ethics is it deals with moral principles and systems so now that we kind of refreshed what normative ethics so these normative ethics that deal with moral principles and systems have approaches to them so you can think of a second layer of this one. So these ethic approaches um, could be consequence, which is consequentialism, deontology, which is based on duty, and uh, virtue ethics. And then we have different philosophers that talk about what each one of these is. So when we talk about these normative ethics, and we're talking about how things should be, right, wrong, um, what the actions of governments are, and you start looking at consequentialism, you think about these two philosophers. You think about Jeremy Bentham, who is the principal founder of utilitarianism, a concept which is, is kind of talking about the great, it's for the greater good when something is done, right? It's, it, fe- it veers off from human agency, individual agency, but it goes more to the collective of a majority um, and the few suffering for the majority uh, of what they want. And that's how bills are written or consequences or social, social justice is approached to this type of consequentialism, which is the notion that Jeremy Bentham came up with. Uh, the next person that also talks about consequentialism is John Stuart Little. What is inter- interesting with John Stuart Little that I was reading in Moral Man and in Moral Society is that he introduces, so we're talking about the word pleasure in terms of consequentialism, and he introduces um, a term that really complicates further what pleasure is. And I don't actually, I don't think I was reading it in Moral Man and Immoral Society. I think I actually read that in Being Good, the short intro to ethics by Simon Blackburn, um, which made it a little bit more complex. 
which kind of gave it a descriptor to the word pleasure, which, like I said, made it more obfuscated in terms of trying to understand um, Jeremy Bentham in terms of pleasure, which introduces consequentialism. Uh, but Mill, Mill had more of a Victorian view that people sampled with higher pleasures. But um, anyways, the term that he brought was uh, intended. I think it was intended, was it? I know it started with an I in terms of utilitarianism and pleasures. Anyways, when I find it, I will address it back to try to bring in some understanding of the differences between uh, Jeremy Bentham and John Stewart, because John Stewart was a follower of Jeremy Bentham in terms of um, utilitarian utilitarianism. And so the next one that we're going to be looking at is deontological. Well, deontological is one that bases itself on duty. That's the approach. And we have four, four philosophers that base their normative ethics approaches to ethics in terms of duty, right? So you have Rene Descartes. There's Thomas Hobbes, which talks about the social contract. And when you look at Thomas Hobbes and the social contract, and we have Rawls, who had veered away from talking about Thomas Hobbes' social contract because he didn't adhere to, to that type of, of contract. Um, jo- Mr. Rawls uh, was more adherent to John Locke's social contract, which was to pursue life, liberty, and property, which was later reappropriated by Jackson as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that's where he takes it from. You look at um, another deontologicalist, which is Immanuel Kant, Kantism, and then finally, um, the other approach is the Ten Commandments. So these are the normal ethics, these are the approaches that are taken, and finally, with uh, another approach is the virtue ethics. And there you definitely have Aristotle who talks about this uh, term about happiness or pleasure turned from pleasure to happiness, which he gives it another type of, of wording. It's eudaimonia, which is spelt E-U-D-A-I-M-O-N-I-A. So for Aristotle, a long succession even of pleasurable inner sensations cannot make genuine happiness. Or eudaimonia, which is what I spelt for you. Uh, Finally, with the virtue ethics, which is another approach to normative ethics, is Plato. Plato also talked about the pleasures. We see in the Republic where it stems from. And then finally, Rawls, Justice as Fairness, where he talks about the veil of ignorance, which really means 
um, the, through the perspective of the eyes of someone looking at a situation, there is no self-interest. It's like a blank slate being provided. That's how the veil of ignorance would work in terms of creating any types of laws to reach justice as fairness. So the diff- there's these different types of um, ethics, right? So now we're going to move towards the meta-ethics. So the meta-ethics deals with nature of ethical claims. Um, so when you talk about ethical claims, we can look at what it deals with. So claims are, could be ethical judgments, uh, something that you use to be able to understand attitudes. You're able to understand certain judgments that you can support or defend. So these meta-ethics really do remind me of the word or the term reason. Reason can be defined just really loosely as um, the conscious way of making sense of something or adapting information that's new or old. So that's how you create reason. So it reminds me of um, the nature of making judgments, whether it's on statements or attitudes, or what you can use as supportive to defend a principle of thought. Um, But what is interesting with this theory, right, the meta-ethical theory, it, it doesn't really evaluate a specific choice per se, but it defines a meaning and a nature of the problem discussed. So it's more broadly painted rather than um, a specific choice of being better, worse, or good, or bad, or evil. You know, it's not, it doesn't use gradually, it, gradualism to be able to explain itself, but it's more of a paintbrush of an explanation. It's an essential meaning of nature and what is being discussed. And these meta-ethics really deal with questions of ontology of ethics, of epistemology, of the semantics, the word usage of things that's contextualized, and it expounds on that. So it looks at those types of claim. And the next one that we're going to be discussing on in terms of the types of ethics is the descriptive ethics. So, oh, no, 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 hold on. So before I move on from meta-ethics, I'm going to go ahead and elaborate a little bit more on um, the types of concerns that are more generic that meta-ethics does evaluate. And those are the semantics, epistemology, and oncology. So first to, to sort out semantics. Um, semantics is really a study and you think about words, you think about symbols, you think about the meanings of things held within the core uh, and the base of this centralized specific unit or value which deals with language. Because symbols do have um, meanings attached to them. They have uh, different ways of looking at life, and they're very interpretive through how they're being discussed. So think about semantics as studies of symbols. And of course, with those symbols, you're going to have 
the study of of its meaning, right, which is really closely related. And so semantics is it's a, a really close branch of logic and meaning that has to deal with linguistics. So you study these meanings, you study a sense of reference, an implication or a logical form of, of words. Words have meanings, they have concepts. So you, you use cognitive structure to mean what things mean, right? Within a word, within a phrase, a sentence, or an actual text. So some examples of semantics, um, for instance, a toy block would be called a block, a cube, a toy. And a child could be called a child, kid, boy, girl, son, daughter, etc. Um, and we can look at the word run, which has many, re- many meanings. There's physical running, there's departure or to go or leave, um, it also can express time being spent, like it had to run its course, or um, it could even be a pair of hose in a, in a type of snag. So the, the importance when we're looking at meta, meta ethics is um, understanding how it looks at meaning, right? Now that you have a description. So the second meta-ethics, which is a type of a normative ethics, is also epistemology. And epistemology, uh, in a broad sense, has to do with knowledge base. It's a, it's a type of philosophy. It's like the curiosity, the inquiry, the inquiry into how we know what we know so epistemology can be not only in relation to the regards of validity or a scope of something or its methodology it's a way that we investigate um, what distinguishes something that's justifiable from let's say someone's opinion right so epistemology it's a theory of knowledge and this theory of knowledge during the scientific evolution is used through a hypothesis for instance you use methods in order to understand what epistemology is and some examples of epistemology um, are for instance truth belief and justification and it really brings out what could be true in nature so epistemology is, the purpose of epistemology is concerned with giving the account of knowledge um, to be able to acquire knowledge, to gain something that's at the outcome a goal. So again, epistemology is basically just, it inquires of what we know and how we do, and it makes a distinction between the knowledge that we know as being more concrete rather than something that was just made up as an opinion and it's formulated through inferences and implications of something based on information, new or old information. And the last one for meta-ethics that concerns itself with um, the essential meaning and problems that are discussed is 
ontology. So ontology is really interesting because as a term, it really has to do with um, the study of existence, right? So it's based on philosophy. And ontology talks about those things that exist and it's it's a branch of metaphysics and it deals with the nature of being so ontology like in simple terms is it's just the study of existence that's what it is it looks at the nature of things the cause the identity of things So an example would be like someone, an expert or a practitioner, for instance, um, dividing things in order to make the understanding of whatever things that are being placed for knowledge to fit together for, in, a, in a broader perspective to be able to understand why its existence or, in be, or its being is where it's at. So you use a lot of relations, relations or property to show um, specific subject areas or categories. And so ontology is the study of being or existence. And so continuing on with meta-ethics, you have moral, moral anti-realism. So moral realism is something that was criticized by McIntyre. Um, it deals with emotion or what is called emotivism. So let's look at McIntyre in terms of moral reason. So here... McIntyre identifies moral excellence with effective human agency. It's a way to liberate the human individual to recognize and seek their good as a component for their communities. So for McIntyre, ethics and politics are bound together. They're closely related. So McIntyre is someone who criticized, of course, um, criticized meta-ethics for whatever reason he disagreed because he identified moral excellence with effective human agency, which, which would mean it's away from social groups of that nature. He sought uh, political environments to be one to help liberate human agents so that they recognize their own good. So he's focusing more on the individual versus the wider span of ethics and groups and how they help. So now in terms of moral realism, we will also be talking about non-descriptive emotivism. So more, 
was really looking at the moral judgments that are ascribed to the property of goodness of state of affairs. So he described it more in terms of emotion, uh, more on the side of the non-naturalism by saying that the fundamental moral judgment ascribed the property of goodness to state of affairs. And moral, moral realism is where you have the existence of moral facts and moral values that are objective and independent of our perception of them or even our beliefs, feelings, and attitudes. So what's really interesting with moral realism is that the meta-ethical view that there is such a thing as moral facts and moral values, that there is objective and independent moralism that doesn't come in connection with our perceptions or beliefs and feelings shows a detachment from nature. And then we have the opposite of moral realism. And so we have no object moral standard. You have skepticism. So let's look moral anti-realism. You have Simon Blackburn and David Hume. So looking at moral anti-realism, which is another philosophy of ethics, or moral irrealism, also known as moral anti-realism, that one says that there's no objective moral values. And it's usually defined in the opposition to the moral realism, so which holds that there are objective moral values which any moral claim are true are either true or false. But this one goes against uh, the moral anti-realism. So with anti-moral realism, you can deny moral properties existence or the the acceptance that they do exist and it's but that their existence is mind dependent and not subject not objective or independent so moral realism is objective and independent whereas moral anti-realism is mind dependent which is interesting so the types of ethics, so now we're going to move away from the moral realism in moral anti-realism from the meta-ethics. And we're going to go swim over to the descriptive ethics, right? And the descriptive ethics, if I may remind you, um, it really describes particular ethical systems or particular ethical actions. So focus on ethical systems or ethical actions. Those are just, that falls within a type of ethic, the, the descriptive one. In terms of that one, descriptive ethics is value-free. 
So this one examines ethics through a perception and or the observations of of what moral agents are doing in practice, which reminds me if descriptive ethics is mostly based on a perspective of or the observations of the choices being made by agents in practice or their behaviors, then it kind of like makes me think about relativism. It makes me think about self-interest ambition. And it makes me think the opposite of religion absolutism, which would not fit under descriptive ethics. So this one, it also would describe reason. Why? Because the descriptive ethics would be studying the people's beliefs, maybe any implicit existence, um, rather than explicitly prescription. So it's, it's not prescriptive, right, with the decisions. It's more to, to look at the reasonableness of moral norms that these individuals would partake in. And so a little bit more in terms of descriptive. Let's look at descriptive ethics. So so what ends up happening is, like in um, Moral Man and Immoral Society, a study in ethics and politics, Niebuhr starts talking about history and comparing it to, to contemporary um, ways of looking at ethics and starts looking to see how religion resources and morality um, from a social justice perspective based on love supersedes justice. And that's really what it, that's what descriptive ethics reminded me of but going on to continue descriptive um, so descriptive is more to be able to uncover the beliefs and the values of people and that would include their actions of what of what's right and wrong and what these individuals would believe is virtuous so descriptive ethics goes and really studies the behavior of people, how they think they should behave. So this theory is grounded on observations of sorts, looking at people as they are, not necessarily as they should be. So this is where people claim that they follow actual rules, um, which create their actions there's a lot of comparison happening in in this particular one so the next one we're going to talk about which is a type of ethic is applied ethics so in applied ethics it really focuses on situations situations that are real life. 
For example, solutions to problems is something that could be looked at. Solutions to specific problems versus something universal or something that's just impossible to implement based on on something more generic. So it's strictly based on ethical approaches for solutions for very specific rather than universal issues that could come about. And these applied ethics are typically used to provide more insight in areas like psychology or sociology, areas where knowledge base is based on its deliberation. And this is really used to determine public behavior as long as to determine public policy in terms of what, what is happening. So here with applied ethics, there is moral consideration. There is the real act, the real world action. Um, people are being studied in their private and their public life, their professions, um, areas in health and technology in law and leadership, that's where applicable ethics comes in. Um, this is, it's a moral standpoint of view. Matters of moral judgment are basically established and observed from a stance of private and public life. And it uses philosophical methods to I, try to identify the different correct courses of actions that are taken within the field of human life. And with this type, there's types of applied ethics, right? So we even break it down even further. The three branches are meta-ethics, normative ethics, sometimes just referred as ethical theory. And finally, what we had, what we applied here, which is applied ethics. With applied ethics, there's... Furthermore, fields that are used, which we talked about, because if we, if we literally look at how strict and principle-based the applied ethics is, is you can start to see researchers really honing in on practitioners that could be in bioethics or medicine, probably law, the environment, and so forth, in order to conclude how these moral actions um, started their their way of being. And there's applications of these branches that are being used to study. So Blackburn talks about it. He talks about the right and the wrong. He does bring an example of, for instance, um, abortion and what it means. He asks questions for the individual to look at how pro-life and pro-choice would affect one's application and how it could seem uh, not feasible to use that as a principle because he starts introducing things like I think is gradualism and deontological um, ways of doing things or the perception of them. And so the reason he does that is because there's a couple of things that you can fall through like a slippery slope or an argument that is just not founded. 
which is what he brings up mostly. Uh, and the, like I said earlier, he does talk about um, the meta-ethics approach with graduations of things or gradually something being from a scale of 1 to 10, for instance, less medium and more of. And then with that, you know, some reasoning can be more obvious than another, and in other instances it may not be. And so, for instance, I'm reminded of um, the pro-choice argument or the pro-life, which is not black and white. Um, A principle could be added to abortion if there's a female, for instance, that did an abortion versus a woman who had a miscarriage. It would it's two distinct operative ways of thinking. And if we add a third one where we say a woman lost her child who was already, you know, a born child, I mean, those three instances are very distinctly dealt with because you can't sympathize like you would with someone who had their child and died versus someone who was pregnant and created the abortion um, versus someone who had the miscarriage. And that's those are the distinction where he talks about graduations and gradualism and how that becomes problematic to some degree. In uh, the ethical studies, he also talks about um, the applied ethics with legal implications, with law, because they could have legal implications, versus some could be n- the natural law, which some would ascribe to God. And the reason people have sinned is because they've distanced themselves from the almighty power, and once that has been distanced, the natural law, many would say and agree, that slavery and war and um, discrimination have been ways of keeping humanity in check, letting them know that they've sinned. And that's the way that um, the book has described differences between the legal implications versus the natural law. And finally, the major doctrines or theories that we I did read a lot about was eudaimonism. So euda is a concept that Plato talks about happiness, which is under uh, pleasure, but he brings it to happiness, which is um, euda, the meaning of happiness. But when you put monism is only one deity, so eudaimonism. He does talk then in the book, they also talk about subjectivism, which is more perhaps of a type of reason that brings in subjectivism. There is egoism, which is a natural impulse that can be a part of what makes the natural impulse egoism. There is deontological, which is more reserved for what they'll say duty or shall. And then there's other concepts that were talked about in terms of these ethics. So, in other words, the ending of this conclusion of this podcast is ethics is not as simple as it seems. It's very 
very complicated in terms of not hard to try to make out, but it just has different veering off points, which makes it a bigger conversation that is going on and has been going on since before 382 to 322 BC before um, Plato. But that is what I had to discuss in my discussion. Um, we talked about the types of ethics. It was normative, meta, descriptive, and applied ethics and how each one of them had a different way of approaching it. You can approach it through the consequentialistic, the deontological, or the virtues, which included um, Jeremy Bentham, Stuart Mills, Descartes, Hobbes, Locke, Kant, the Ten Commandments, Aristotle, Plato, and even Rawls' way of describing um, the normative ethics approaches.